Okay, let's continue with our lesson. وَإِذْ قَالَ مُوسَى لِقَوْمِهِ And recall and remember when Musa السلام, said to his people. Who were his people? Who was his nation? The Bani Israel. The word qawm is from the root letters qaf, waw, meem. And this word is going to come many, many times in the Qur'an. The word qawm is used for a group of people, a nation, who have one feature at least that unifies them. Either they are of the same race, or they are of the same religion, or they live in the same city, the same country. So who is qawm? Nation. One people. When Musa salam said to his people, he said to them that, Ya qawmi, O my people. Qawmi. Notice the word qawmi. We're translating it as my people. Where did the meaning of my come from? The kasra under the meme was actually a ya over there. But that ya has been eliminated. Just as we learned earlier, فَاتَّقُونِ فَرْهَبُونِ So similarly, يَا قَوْمِ It means my people. O my people, إِنَّكُمْ Indeed you, ظَلَمْتُمْ أَنفُسَكُمْ You have done zulm on yourselves. You have committed injustice against yourselves. How? بِاتِّخَاذِكُمُ الْعِجْلَ By your taking the calf. By your taking the calf for worship. When you worship the calf, who did you commit injustice against? Yourself. When a person commits a sin, when a person does something wrong, in fact, who is he harming? Himself. So Musa salam tells his people, when you worship the calf, you in fact committed injustice against yourself. إِنَّكُمْ ظَلَمْتُمْ أَنفُسَكُمْ Anfus is from the root letters, nun fasin, and it's the plural of the word, nafs. Nafs is singular and anfus is plural. And ظَلَمْتُمْ, you know, is from the root letters, ظَلَمْ, mim, And بِاتِّخَاذِكُمْ, اِتِّخَاذ is from the root letters, hamza kha, ذَال. Notice how the Bani Israel committed a great crime by worshipping the calf. It's a major sin. Committing shirk is a major sin. But look at how Musa is addressing them. Ya qawmi, oh my people. Why does he address them in this way? Ya qawmi. This first of all shows the love that he had for his people. The affection that he had for his people. That no matter what great crimes they committed, still he was tender-hearted towards them. Still he was kind towards them. And the fact is that unless and until we have this kind of love for people, we cannot help them. What happens is that if there is someone we know, someone from among our family, or our friends, if they do something wrong, we develop a hatred for them. And we begin to dislike them. And we avoid them. We don't speak to them. We become very harsh with them. This is not the solution. If you want to correct someone, you have to show your love and care. Because if you don't show your love and care, what's going to happen? They're going to become averse from you. This is just like children. When they do something wrong, if you yell at them, if you frighten them, are they going to listen to you? Not at all. But if you speak to them lovingly, kindly, are they going to listen to you? Yes. Because they know that you care for them and that you don't hate them. So when you show to the other person you hate them, they will turn off their ears. But when you show that you love them, then they will listen to you. So Musa salam addressed them with a lot of love. Ya qawmi. And secondly, he addressed them in this way to show that he was their well-wisher. To show that he was sincere to them. And in fact, he was a well-wisher to them. So he said, Oh my people, in fact, you have done wrong on yourselves. You have committed injustice against yourselves by worshipping the calf. Why is he telling them about their sin? He's making them realize about the wrong that they have done. Typically, when somebody does something wrong, what do we do? We ignore them. 
or we become angry with them and we don't speak to them. We just be quiet. This is not the solution. If you want to correct someone, tell them the mistake that they have made. Don't avoid them and give them a cold shoulder. No. Point out the mistake in a proper way so that they also know the wrong that they have done. يَا قَوْمِ إِنَّكُمْ ظَلَمْتُمْ أَنفُسَكُمْ بِاتِّخَاذِكُمُ الْعِجْلَةِ But then he doesn't just make them feel guilty and leave them, oh you're so horrible, you did something wrong. No, he gives them a solution as well. And what's the solution? فَتُوبُوا إِلَى بَارِئِكُمْ All of you repent to your Creator. Turn back to your Lord. Turn in repentance to Him. Sometimes we just make people feel guilty and we don't give them a solution. Musa makes them realize their mistake and he tells them what to do. Tubu. Tubu is from the root letters? Ta, wow, ba. Taba ya tubu. What does the word tawbah mean? Repentance. What is repentance? That a person stops doing the wrong thing and he becomes a good person. He leaves the wrong action and he becomes a better person. This is what we know what repentance is. But what's the literal meaning of the word tawbah? To turn back. That you're going one way, but then you stop and then you turn back. This is what tawbah literally means. What is tawbah in our sharia? What does the word tawbah mean? What does the concept of tawbah include? The concept of tawbah includes many, many things. First of all, tawbah includes realization. Realization of what? Of the sin, the wrong action that a person is doing. Realization. But then, is it enough to realize that a person is doing something wrong? Is that sufficient? No. Secondly, you have to feel regret in your heart. That I should not be doing this. I should stop it. I wish I had not done it. Why am I doing it? So after realization comes, regret, remorse. That you feel sorry about doing it. Thirdly, it means to leave the sin. The next step is that you leave the sin. You relinquish it. You stop it. Not that a person is, you know, doing something wrong. He says, yeah, I know I shouldn't be doing it. I feel very horrible about it, but I do it anyway. That's not tawbah. Tawbah is that if you've promised you're not going to do something wrong again, you don't do it again. You realize, you feel guilty, you feel horrible, and you stop it. You don't repeat it. And for that, you need determination. Then after leaving the sin, after relinquishing the sin, the fourth step, the next step is to better oneself, to improve oneself. For example, if a person makes up his mind that that's it, after today, I'm not going to listen to music. First of all, realize this is wrong. Secondly, have regret. Thirdly, stop. Not that the music is blasting in your car and you're saying, yeah, I shouldn't be listening to it. No, stop. And then you reform. How do you reform? That you make yourself a better person. That the sin that was committed in the past, you seek forgiveness for it. That, oh Allah, forgive me for having done this before. Forgive me, have mercy on me. And then a person strives to be better. That he stays away from that and does something good instead. Makes up for the wrong that was done with what? Good deeds that are performed. And reform sometimes also includes taking the legal punishment. For example, if a person has committed such a crime that requires a legal punishment, then it means a person takes the legal punishment as well. Or that if a person has to pay a fine for that, he gives the fine for that. He has to make up for it in some way or the other, he makes up for it. Doesn't mean that you steal and then you say, okay, I'm never going to do it again, but let me keep this. No, you're not keeping it, you're giving it back. You have to give it back. You're not going to keep it with yourself. And then after that, the fifth step is to have a firm resolve. 
meaning to never repeat the sin again. That a person makes up his mind, he's firm, he is never ever going to go back to it again. This is what tawbah means. So Musa salam told his people, فَتُوبُوا Repent, turn back. To who? إِلَى بَارِئِكُمْ To your Creator. Meaning, leave the worship of the calf. Feel guilty about it. Seek forgiveness. And promise that you're never ever going to go back to it again. However, remember, part of tawbah is reform. That if a punishment is required, that is taken. Some legal action is required, that is taken. فَتُوبُوا إِلَى بَارِئِكُمْ The word bari is from the root letters ba ra hamza And bari is one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And bara'a is to create something perfectly, without any flaw. What does it mean to create something perfectly? From the same root is the word bari. Bari is one who is innocent. Meaning someone who is not guilty, who has not committed anything wrong. Their criminal record is perfect, it is clean. So bari is one who creates something perfectly without any flaw. And bari is also one who creates something new for the first time. Innovator. فَتُوبُوا إِلَى بَارِئِكُمْ Repent to your Creator. Question. Why doesn't Musa simply say repent to Allah? فَتُوبُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ Why بَارِئِكُمْ? What they worshipped was a calf. And who made that calf? They themselves. So the object that they had made themselves, they were worshipping that. Is it worthy of worship? No. Because they had made it themselves. And who is worthy of worship? The one who has made you. The one who has created you. He deserves your worship. So repent to your creator, the one who made you. He deserves your worship, not the one that you have made yourself. فَتُوبُوا إِلَى بَارِئِكُمْ Question. That if a person does tawbah, meaning he makes a promise, he's never going to repeat that sin again, but then he does it. Then what? Do tawbah again? You're a human being. It doesn't mean that have a weak resolve. No, have a firm resolve. Be determined. But then if you slip afterwards, don't say, Oh yeah, since I've done this mistake once again, forget it, I'll do it again and again. No, do tawbah again. And do tawbah again. And be sincere in your repentance. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make you firm on it. But this tawbah required from the Bani Israel, not just that they should stop worshipping the calf, but they also had to take the legal punishment. And what was that punishment? فَقْتُلُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ So kill yourselves. فَقْتُلُوا قَافْتَ لَامْ قَتْلُ قَتْلُ is to kill. Kill who? أَنفُسَكُمْ Anfus is a plural of nafs. Kill yourselves. Does it mean that each person had to commit suicide? No. Anfus over here means your own people. Because a nation is like one body. Like for example the Muslim Ummah. What do we learn? That we are like one body. If one part hurts, the other also feels the pain. So, فَقْتُلُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ This means, kill those amongst you who have worshipped the calf. Because when Musa ﷺ was gone, the Bani Israel became divided. A group of people made the calf and worshipped the calf, and the rest of them did not worship the calf. They were the ones who listened to Harun ﷺ, and they did not worship the calf. So there was a divide amongst the Bani Israel. Some who had committed the crime, who were guilty, and others who were innocent. So those who were guilty, what was their punishment? That they had to be killed. Imagine, they had to be killed. And Musa salam said to them, that ذَلِكُمْ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ That is better for you. Doing tawbah in this way. عِنْدَ بَارِئِكُمْ Near your Creator. Why this punishment? Why such a harsh punishment? The Bani Israel, 
Because they were the chosen people, they were the favored people. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed special favors on them, when they did something wrong, that was also a very, very big deal. There is an expression in the Arabic language that hasanatul abra sayyatul muqarrabin. That the good deeds of righteous people are like the shortcomings of those who are very, very high up there. In other words, the greater the rank of a person, then the greater the expectations are from him. So if he makes a mistake, if he does something wrong, then what does that mean? The punishment is also going to be very, very severe. For example, if a person is high up in the government, and if he commits treachery, what's his punishment? Is he going to be forgiven? He just has to pay a fine? Like any other person of the country? Like any other citizen? No. He is going to suffer greater consequences. Similarly, if there are people who are in the government, who are in the army, and they do something wrong, then the consequences are much more severe for them compared to the rest of the people. Much, much more severe. The higher your level, the greater the restrictions, the greater the expectations. So the Bani Israel, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had bestowed many, many favors on them. Imagine the sea was parted for them. They saw it with their own eyes. Fir'aun was killed right before them. Just imagine, huge favors were bestowed upon them. And then on top of that, they worshipped the calf. That was not a small crime on their part. It was a huge crime. And because it was a huge crime, the punishment was also very, very great. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. Because great favors were bestowed on them, this is why the punishment was also very, very great. And also, the religion, the law, was very, very strict for the Bani Israel compared to the religion being strict for us. There are certain restrictions on us, but for the Bani Israel, the religion was made harder. There were more restrictions on them. Why? For different reasons. A, because they were given many special favors, and B, because despite the many favors, they also committed many crimes. And when they committed crimes, the religion became harder upon them. فَقْتُلُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ ذَلِكُمْ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ عِنْدَ بَارِئِكُمْ And when they did that, فَتَابَ عَلَيْكُمْ Then He turned in mercy on you. Notice the word tawbah is also being used for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who does tawbah? The servant does tawbah to Allah. We do tawbah to Allah. But Allah also does tawbah to His servant. How? That tawbah is different. Tawbah on the part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means turning in mercy to His servant. Accepting His repentance. Forgiving Him. So fataba alaykum. You turned in tawbah, Allah also accepted your repentance. Why? Because innahu huwa tawwabur rahim. Indeed he, he is the greatest acceptor of repentance and also the one who is repeatedly merciful. The name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, at-tawwab. There is a shadda on the wow. When shadda, there is shadda in the meaning as well. When the word is intense, there is intensity in the meaning as well. So at-tawwab is not just one who accepts repentance, but the one who accepts repentance again and again and again from the same person. For example, think about yourself. Have you sought forgiveness only once in your entire life? How many times do you seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Again and again and again, many times a day. Why? Because we make mistakes again and again. Now imagine... We make mistakes, we seek Allah's forgiveness, Allah forgives. If a person came and apologized to you once for something wrong they did, you forgive them. You accept their apology. They do it again. Okay, you give them a second chance. They do it again. You give them a third chance. 
They come for the fifth or sixth time, what do you say? Forget it, man. I'm not going to accept this apology. You're not serious at all. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is a tawab. He accepts repentance from the same servant, from the same person, again and again and again. And He accepts repentance not just from one person, but from all those who turn in repentance to Him. And how many are they? Allah alone knows their number. We cannot even count the number of people who seek forgiveness from Allah. And Allah accepts the repentance of every single one of them. And on top of that, Allah accepts repentance for not just ordinary sins, but even the greatest sins. Imagine a person commits shirk, ascribes partners with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the greatest crime. Allah also accepts his repentance. Do you remember the story of that person who had killed 99 people? And then he went to a person who was very righteous, very pious, a rahib, a worshiper. And he said, I have committed these crimes. Is there any tawbah for me? He said, no. So he killed him. He committed a hundred murders. And then he went to another person. And he said, is there any forgiveness for me? That was a knowledgeable man. And he said, yes. You just leave your people. Because when you're amongst them, you commit crimes. Leave them and go somewhere else. And he was on his way when the angel of death came. And then we know that there was an argument between the angels of mercy and the angels of punishment. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the earth to expand so that the angels of mercy would take his soul. He was forgiven. Just imagine, Allah is a tawab. Remember that shirk is the greatest sin and there is no forgiveness for it unless a person does tawbah. Like for example, a person was a non-Muslim. They did shirk. But then they did tawbah, they became a Muslim. Is there no forgiveness for them? Of course there is. What it means is, that other sins Allah can forgive even without tawbah. Allah can forgive other sins even if a person does not repent, if Allah wants. But shirk is something that Allah does not forgive unless a person repents. Innahu huwa tawwabur rahim. Allah is the greatest acceptor of repentance and He is also a rahim The one who is repeatedly merciful. Again and again He shows mercy to His creatures. Earlier we learned that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that you took the ka for worship and then He pardoned you, He forgave you. And now we learn that they had to take the punishment. Remember that forgiveness comes when a person does tawbah. If you don't apologize, will you be forgiven? You have to offer some kind of apology. And part of repentance is what? Taking the punishment. Over here, فَتَابَ عَلَيْكُمْ إِنَّهُ هُوَ التَّوَّابُ الرَّحِيمُ What lessons do we learn in this verse? Any mistake we made, any sin that has been committed, no matter how big it may be, what do we need to do? Turn to Allah. Never ever feel shy of saying sorry to your Lord. Never. Because Allah is very generous. He is very kind. We feel shy of saying sorry to people. Why? Because we're afraid they're not going to forgive us. We're afraid they're going to say something harsh to us. They're going to say something mean to us. But Allah, He is at tawab So no matter what we have done, always turn back to Allah. Because Allah alone forgives sins. What else do we learn in this verse? That when we do something wrong, in fact we are harming ourselves. So if we care about ourselves, what do we need to do? Repent. Seek forgiveness. That if we see somebody doing something wrong, like Musa saw his people doing something wrong, then how should we approach them? In a nice way. Point out their mistake and also tell them what to do. Musa is the one who pointed out their mistake and he told them what to do. How to seek forgiveness. 
Let's continue. وَإِذْ قُلْتُمْ And when you said, يَا مُوسَى O Musa, لَن نُؤْمِنَ لَكَ Never ever will we believe in you. لَن نُؤْمِنَ لَكَ When did the Bani Israel say this? Remember, all of these verses are coming in sequence. That the Bani Israel were enslaved by Fir'aun. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved them. The sea was parted for them. They crossed safely. Fir'aun drowned with his people. The Bani Israel were in the desert. And then what happened? Before they continued with their lives, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called Musa alayhi salam to Mantur so that the book would be given to them for their guidance. While he was gone, they started worshipping the calf. Then what happened? Musa alayhi salam returned and he told them, what you're doing is wrong, seek forgiveness from Allah. Turn in repentance. So they did the tawbah, they took the punishment. And then what happened? Now Musa alayhi salam came, he pointed to them what their mistake was, the tawbah was done. What did he bring with him? The Torah. When he gave them the Torah, the Bani Israel, some of them, those who had remained, they said, we're never going to listen to you. We're never going to accept that this is from Allah. لَن نُؤْمِنَ لَكَ نُؤْمِنَ Hamza مِيمْ نُون Iman. And Iman, when the word is followed by Li, نُؤْمِنَ لَكَ When it is followed by Lam, then it means to listen to someone, to accept what they're saying, to obey them. So they said, we're never going to listen to you, we're never going to accept that this book is from Allah. Hatta until Nara Laha we see Allah. Nara Ra Hamza Ya Ra'a. Ra'yun is to see. And from that Nara we see. The noon gives a meaning of we. Until we see Allah how Jahratan openly. Jahra Jim Ha Ra. Jahra is when something is said or done in such a way that it is seen or it is heard. If I whisper, can you hear me? If I talk about something in a closed room, can you hear me? When can you hear me? When I say out loud, in front of you, loudly. Similarly, if an action is done in a closed room, can you see it? No. But if it's done openly, publicly, can you come to know of it? Yes, you can. This is what jahra is. There is a sirri salah and jahri salah. Sirri salah is the salah in which the imam, when he recites the Quran, how does he recite it? Silently, like zuhr and asr. And jahri salah is the one in which he recites the Qur'an loudly, like fajr, maghrib, isha. Why is it called jahri? Because he's saying out loud so that the rest of the people can hear him. So hatta narallaha jahra, what does it mean by this? Until we see Allah openly. Meaning we want to see Allah clearly. When we see Allah with our own eyes, then we're going to believe that yes, this book is from Allah and we will accept you. Seeing the sea part before them, wasn't that enough of a miracle? Then the Torah that was given to them, it was in the form of tablets, it was pre-written. It wasn't like Musa was reciting the verses to them, no, it was the physical book. It was written for them on tablets. Seeing these great signs even was not enough for them. Out of their pride, out of their stubbornness, they said, we want to see Allah. If we see Allah, then we will listen to you. What happened then? فَأَخَذَتْكُمْ Then it seized you. Hamza Khadal. It seized you. What seized you? الصَّاعِقَةُ The thunderbolt. We have done the word الصَّوَاعِق earlier. صَادْعَيْن قَاف صَوَاعِق Thunderbolt. This is a singular form. صَاعِقَةُ Thunderbolt. And what is a thunderbolt? A bolt of lightning that falls from the sky along with a huge blasting sound. So the word sariqa in the Qur'an is used for a thunderbolt and it's also used for a punishment. فَأَخَذَتْكُمُ الصَّارِقَةُ وَأَنْتُمْ تَنْظُرُونَ And you were looking, meaning you saw the thunderbolt falling from the sky on you. You saw it coming on you. 
you are punished for that demand. What do we learn over here? That when we make incorrect demands, then such demands are punishable. ثُمَّ بَعَثْنَاكُمْ Then we raised you. بَعَثْنَا بَعَيْنْسَ بَعَثَ Is to raise, to resurrect. That a person has died and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives him life again. Ba'ath is resurrection. So we resurrected you. مِنْ بَعْدِ مَوْتِكُمْ After your death. Maut مِنْ وَوْتَ Death. You had died when the thunderbolt struck you. You were finished. But Allah, He gave you life again. لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ So that you would be grateful. Grateful for your life. For another chance to live. What do we learn in these verses? We learn about the pride of Bani Israel. The foolishness of Bani Israel. They knew that Musa was in fact the messenger. They knew that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had saved them. Yet they demanded to see Allah. When a person makes such a demand, I will not believe in God unless I see Him. This is not being intellectual. Because Allah has given us many, many signs that prove to us about His existence, about His majesty, about His love and concern and care that He has for us. And if a person says, I want to see Allah, only then I'll believe. This is pride. And pride does not fit those people who walk on the earth. Because their status is lowly. They walk on the earth. They're not up in the skies. Where are they? On the earth. And pride does not befit us. Musa salam had also requested to see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He requested Allah. He said, Rabbi arini anzur ilayk. Oh Allah, show me yourself. I want to see you. When he made that request, that was out of love. That was out of iman. But when the Bani Israel made the same request, it was out of doubt and pride. This is why they were punished for that. We have to be very careful. Then we also see in this verse that upon being forgiven or upon being saved from the consequences of one's actions, a person must be grateful. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says over here, ثُمَّ بَعَثْنَاكُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَوْتِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ So be grateful. You see how the Bani Israel were just finishing or reducing in their numbers since they were saved from Fir'aun. A whole lot of them got killed. Why? Because of their worship of the calf. Then what happened? They were killed because of their demand. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them life again. Why was this happening? Why were they making such demands? Why were they making such huge errors? Because their minds were still enslaved. They had lived in slavery for a very, very long time. And when a person lives as a slave, then what is his concern? Work so that you can make whatever food or little enjoyment that you're going to get. Work, money, work, money. That is all that his life revolves around. There's nothing beyond that. He doesn't think about improving his health. He doesn't think about traveling or learning, experiencing different things. He's just bound to a certain life pattern. And when a person becomes like that, then he stops growing spiritually and mentally. He stops using his mind. And unfortunately, this is the state of many, many people today. Our lives, they revolve around what? Studying, so that you can work, so that you can make money, so that you can pay your bills, so that you can be happy. But then what about tomorrow? What about the hereafter? What about everything else? What about the family? And we see that when people get lost in this cycle, then they ignore themselves They ignore their families. They ignore the community. They ignore many, many important things in people. Because they become selfish. They stop using their minds. It's amazing how in this modern slavery, we have become so used to gadgets and certain things 
that we cannot survive without them. And we don't care about the consequences it is having on the planet. The people are so concerned about only fulfilling their desires, buying one thing after the other, moving on from one gadget to another, that we forget about its consequences on this planet. That we become heedless creatures. Heedless. Careless. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَظَلَّلْنَا عَلَيْكُمْ And we shaded upon you, ظَلَّلَ From the root, ظَلَمْ لَمْ From the word, ظِلْ ظِلْ means shadow. We shaded upon you, عَلَيْكُمْ الْغَمَامَ The clouds. غَمَامَ is from the root letters, غَيْن مِيمِ مِيمِ And غَمَامَ is used for clouds. Some say it's a generic word used for clouds. Just as in the English language, we say the word cloud. For which kind of cloud? Any cloud. Whether big or small, rain cloud or hail cloud, gray or white, any color, any type. What do we use the word? Cloud. Similarly, in the Arabic language as well, the word غَمَامَ is used for that. Others say that غَمَامَ is a specific kind of a cloud. The one that is white, that seems very light, not a heavy rain cloud, but white and very bright and also appears to be very light. So we shaded on you the cloud, وَأَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكُمْ And we sent down upon you الْمَن The man was salwa and the salwa. What is الْمَن? Man is a proper name and salwa is also a proper name. It is said that man, if you look at the Arabic word man, it's from the root letters mim noon noon. And manna is to show favor to someone. A huge favor. Man was food that was given to the Bani Israel as a huge favor on them. When the Bani Israel crossed the sea on their way to Palestine, where did they end up? In the desert, in the plain of Sinai. What food grows there in a desert? Are there any rest houses? Are there any hotels that you could check in for some time and pay the bills later? Were there any restaurants? No. Were there any gas stations? They were in the desert, out in the open. And when you're traveling through a desert, especially at that time, you won't have any access to food or water unless you brought some supplies with you. And how long can those supplies last? They had no source of food or water or even any shelter. They were out in the desert. If you're going through a forest, okay, there are trees. Okay, there are mountains. There are huge rocks. But they were in the desert. And if you're in the desert, tell me, what are you going to take shade under? You have nothing. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of His mercy, what did He do? He caused the clouds to shade them. He caused the clouds to be right above them, to provide them shade, to protect them from the heat and the sun. And secondly, He also sent upon them food, heavenly food from the skies, man and salwa. It is said that man is a honey-like substance that is sweet. And it is said that it was like honey, like dew. You know in the morning when you ever go outside, the grass is wet even though it hasn't rained. Why? Because it's dew. So it was dew that was very sweet. It would descend early morning. Early morning mist. It was like a dessert. Something very sweet that they could enjoy. Then salwa. Salwa, it is said that it's some kind of a bird. So bird meat is what they were provided to eat. And this food... They wouldn't have to go somewhere, form lines, wait in the queue for a very long time, and then eventually it would be given to them. No, it was sent upon them from the sky. They had to undergo no difficulty, no hardship in order to get this food. They didn't have to spend money. They didn't have to put in any effort. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent this food on them. ظَلَّلْنَا عَلَيْكُمُ الْغَمَامُ وَأَنزَلْنَا عَلَيْكُمُ الْمَنَّ وَالسَّلْوَى And Allah said, كُلُوا, eat. كُلُوا, from the root letters, Hamza, Kaf, Lam, Akala. To eat. We have done the word kula. 
in the story of Adam a.s. Kula, you two eat. Kulu, all of you eat. So all of you eat. Min tayyibati, of the good things. Tayyibat, plural of tayyibah. Tayyibah is from the root letters tayyibah. And tayyib is that which is clean, pure, but also good. For example, food. How is it good? When it is clean, then it's healthy, it's nutritious. When it's delicious, don't forget the taste. And the looks, and the fragrance. All of that is included. كُلُوا مِن طَيِّبَاتِ Eat of the good things that مَا رَزَقْنَاكُمْ Which we have provided you. رَزَقْنَا رَزَيْقَاف But what did they do? They ate of it, but they were ungrateful. So Allah says, وَمَا ظَلَمُونَا With their ingratitude, they did not wrong us. ظَلَمُوا ظَلَمِيمُ They could not cause us any harm by their ingratitude. وَلَكِنْ But كَانُوا They were أَنفُسَهُمْ يَظْلِمُونَ they wronged themselves. They committed injustice against themselves. When they were ungrateful, who were they harming? Themselves. They could not cause any harm to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at all. What do we learn in this verse? First of all, we learn that shade is a blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah caused clouds to shade the Bani Israel. We enjoy shadow all the time, even right now. But do we ever look at it as a blessing? Hardly ever. Imagine if we had to be exposed to the heat of the sun all of the time. Yes, we love the sun. We love it when it's sunny. We love it when it's warm. But when the sun is directly on you, it gets a bit too much to handle. It is out of the favors of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of His mercy that He has bestowed this blessing on us, this blessing of shade. Allah says in Surah An-Nahl, Ayah 81, وَاللَّهُ جَعَلَ لَكُمْ مِمَّا خَلَقَ ظِلَالًا that Allah has made for you from that which He has created shadows. Allah has created shadows from what? From what He has created. So the tree provides shade. Buildings provide shade. Mountains provide shade. Clouds provide shade. This is a blessing of who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Secondly, we also learn clouds, they move at the command of who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you see a cloud up in the sky, or you don't see, this is at whose command? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is not just happening at random. Someone is giving the command. And who's giving the command? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the clouds move, they go from one place to the other at whose command? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then we also learn that food is a blessing, especially that which comes easily. Man and salwa, what were they? Blessings for the Bani Israel. Especially because it came very easily for them. For us also, alhamdulillah, food comes very easily. We go home and the food is prepared for many of us. For many of us, we have to go and cook. But for many of us, we go home and find the food already prepared. If it comes easily, appreciate that blessing before it's taken away from you. Young girls, be grateful. Because sometimes what happens to us is we get bored. Again, you've made rice. Mom, come on. When are you going to make that lasagna? And how about that Chinese food or that so on and so forth? We have a huge list. And if the same thing is prepared once or twice, we're like, I have to have the same thing for lunch? I just had it last night for dinner. We complain too much. But we should be grateful, especially when food comes easily. And we don't have to undergo any hardship. Then we also learn in this verse that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives a blessing to a servant, then he should benefit from it and should not deprive himself from it. The Bani Israel were given man and salwa. What did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? Fast? What did he say? Kulu. Eat it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't tell them that don't eat it to be more righteous. No, He told them, 
eat this food. So when Allah gives us blessings, then part of righteousness is what? Using those blessings. Enjoying those blessings. We think righteousness is depriving yourself. We think righteousness is staying away from good things, from enjoyable things. No. كُلُوا مِن طَيِّبَاتِ مَا رَزَقْنَاكُمْ And especially when something is permissible for us to use, use it and not deprive ourselves. Ibn Taymiyyah, he said that whoever deprives himself from eating good things without any shari cause, then in fact he is blameworthy. Meaning a person is only allowed to deprive himself of using good things for a religious reason. And what is that religious reason? For example, you don't eat because you're fasting. Or you don't eat a particular food because it doesn't suit you. It harms your body. This is also part of the religion because Allah has told us to take care of ourselves. So if some food doesn't suit you, you're allergic to it or you have a sensitivity to it, if you avoid it, that's not wrong. And then thirdly, we are also allowed to not eat something that is permissible for us out of courtesy for other people. Like for example, there is only one piece of cheesecake left on a table and you have your eyes on it, but you know that the person sitting next to you is also looking. And you're like, take it before she gets it. And you say, no, good things are halal for us. Why should I deprive myself? No, out of courtesy for her, what should you do? Give it up. What are the cases in which we are allowed to deprive ourselves from using good things? Religious reason, shari cause. And that includes, for example, if you're fasting. And secondly, if something does not suit your body. Another reason when we are allowed to deprive ourselves, out of courtesy for others. But it doesn't mean that at every occasion you become courteous. And even at a wedding you're like, oh, I know there's so much food, but look, so many people, so they should be eating and I'll stay hungry. No, there's plenty of food. Help yourself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says over here, كُلُوا مِن طَيِّبَاتِ طَيِّبَاتِ are what? Good things. Food that is healthy, that is nutritious, that is beneficial, not harmful for your body. For example, if a person avoids unhealthy food, extremely greasy food, or junk food, then there's no harm in that. But a person shouldn't say that, you know what, Coke, it's haram, you shouldn't have it. No, you can't make even unhealthy food haram. If it's haram, then it's haram. But just because it's unhealthy, don't go on saying it's haram. And if somebody else is having it, take it from them and dump it. It's your choice. You don't want to have it, don't have it. If other people are having it, maybe this is the only time they're having it. Once in a while, it's okay. But if you overdo it, definitely it's harmful for your body. And we have been told to take care of ourselves. In the Sayah, we also learned that when a person is ungrateful, then who does he harm? Himself. Let's listen to the recitation. وَإِذْ قَالَ مُوسَى لِقَوْمِهِ يَا قَوْمِ إِنَّكُمْ ظَلَمْتُمْ أَنفُسَكُمْ بِاتِّخَاذِكُمُ الْعِجْلَ فَتُوبُوا إِلَى بَارِئِكُمْ فَتُوبُوا إِلَى بَارِئِكُمْ فَاقْتُلُوا أَنفُسَكُمْ ذَلِكُمْ خَيْرٌ لَكُمْ عِندَ بَارِئِكُمْ فَتَابَ عَلَيْكُمْ إِنَّهُ هُوَ التَّوَّابُ الرَّحِيمُ وَإِذْ قُلْتُمْ يَا مُوسَى لَن نُؤْمِنَ لَكَ حَتَّى نَرَى اللَّهَ جَهْرَةً فَأَخَذَتْكُمُ الصَّاعِقَةُ وَأَنْتُمْ تَنْظُرُونَ ثُمَّ بَعَثْنَاكُمْ مِنْ بَعْدِ مَوْتِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ 
And also remember this favor when Qulna, we said, who said? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, to who? To the Bani Israel, meaning He gave them a command that Udukhulu, all of you enter. Udukhulu is from Dal Khalam. Dakhala yadkhulu is to enter, to go in. What's the opposite of Dakhala? Kharaja. Kharaja is to come out. And Dakhala, to go in. Udukhulu, enter. Hadihi, this Al-Qarya, the city. Enter this city. The word Qarya is from the root letters Qaf, Raya, and Qari means at tajammur to gather, to collect. And Qarya is a place where people have gathered together and they are living together. In other words, Qarya is what? A population of people. Typically, the word Qarya in the Arabic language is used for a town. And a town, what do we know? It's a smaller place than a city. But the literal meaning of the word Qarya does not mean town. What does it mean? A population. Whether small or big, it doesn't matter. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls the city of Mecca also a Qarya. And we know the time of the Prophet it wasn't a small city. It was a big city. And today, it's huge. هذه Qarya. The Bani Israel were told to enter a particular city. When was this? Remember when they crossed the sea, they were in the desert, and they were there for a very long time. And during that time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused the shade on them, and He also gave them man and salwa. And then eventually, they were told, now enter the city. Which city is this? Where were they supposed to go? They were supposed to go back home to Palestine. The city is referring to Jerusalem. In Surah Al-Ma'idah, ayah number 21, also we learn, يَا قَوْمِ دُخُلُوا الْأَرْضَ الْمُقَدَّسَةَ الَّتِي كَتَبَ اللَّهُ لَكُمْ Musa a.s. told his people that, O oh my people, enter the city that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written for you, decreed for you. So Allah told them to enter the city. And then when you enter the city, then فَكُلُوا مِنْهَا Then eat from it, حَيْثُ شِئْتُمْ Wherever you all willed, رَغَدًا Freely, without any restrictions. We have done all of these words before in the story of Adam a.s. In other words, they were told when you enter the city, then you're allowed to use anything of that city. Meaning it's halal for you. Nothing is restricted for you. Everything is halal for you. Unless obviously something has been specifically made haram. But in other words, you're free. And you see the Bani Israel, where were they before? In Egypt. It was as though as slaves, everything was forbidden for them. That you look at certain things, but you're not allowed to use them. You're not allowed to benefit from them. You're not allowed to enjoy them. So Allah told them, enter the city and you're free. You are the owners. You are the owners. You're not slaves here, but you're owners. You're free. أُدُخُلُوا هَذِهِ الْقَرْيَةِ فَكُلُوا مِنْهَا حَيْثُ شِئْتُمْ رَغَدًا And they were told that when you enter, وَدُخُلُوا But you all should enter. الْبَابَ The door. باب با وباء It's used for the gate or the door of a building, of a city. Before, people used to have gates, walls around the cities. Why? For protection. To protect them from external attacks. When you're entering the gates of the city, how should you enter the gates? Sujada. Sujada is a plural of the word sajid. Sajid is who? One who does sajda. 
So in other words, when you enter, as soon as you enter, fall in prostration. And remember over here, sajda does not mean bowing down. Because the word sajda we know is used for putting your head on the ground. Bowing down is what? Rukur. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has differentiated between rukur and sajda. It doesn't mean that go into sajda and then crawl into the city. What it means is, as soon as you enter, then fall in prostration. Why? Out of gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for bringing you back home. When you come back home, be grateful. When you're safe and secure, and when you're free, be grateful to Allah. وَدُخُلُوا الْبَابَ سُجَّدًا And as you enter, وَقُولُوا And all of you say, حِطَّةٌ حِطَّةٌ What does this word حِطَّة mean? حِطَّة is from the root letters حَطَّةَ And حَطَّة is to fall from a height. What is it? It is to fall from a height. It is also said this word is not actually Arabic. It's originally Hebrew. It doesn't really have a root then. But حَطَّة, what does it mean to fall down from a height? And حِطَّة, it is the abbreviation of اِحْطِطْ عَنَّا ذُنُوبَنَا That make our sins fall down from us. Meaning, remove our sins for us. In other words, forgive us. So وَقُولُوا حِطَّةٌ Say حِطَّة When you enter, beg Allah for forgiveness. And as soon as you enter, fall in prostration. And when you will do that, نَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ نَغْفِرْ غَيْنْ فَرَى غُفْرًا Forgiveness. So نَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ We will forgive for you. What will we forgive for you? خَطَايَاكُمْ Your sins. خَطَايَا is the plural of خَطِيَّةٌ It is the plural of خَطِيَّةٌ From the root letters خَطَى هَمْزَ And خَطِيَّةٌ is a deliberate sin. A sin that happens not accidentally, not unintentionally, but a person consciously, deliberately does that. You forget and you say something wrong. And later on you realize, what did I say? What was I thinking? And the other is that a person is thinking, okay, what swear word can I say to them? That's deliberate. So this is what khatiyah is. Deliberate, conscious sin. نَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ خَطَايَاكُمْ You enter in this way, you beg Allah for forgiveness, Allah will forgive you all of your sins. Imagine they worship the kaf, they did so many wrong things, they said so many wrong things. Allah says, I'll forgive everything for you. So that when you enter... You have a fresh start. You start clean. A new life. A clean life. نَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ خَطَايَاكُمْ And Allah further encouraged them that وَسَنَزِيدُ And soon we shall increase for who? الْمُحْسِنِينَ نَزِيدُ زَيَّدَ الْزِيَادَةِ To increase. To multiply. So we will increase for who? مُحْسِنِينَ What will we increase for them? Their reward. Meaning not only will we forgive them, but on top of that, we will also give them their reward. You beg Allah for forgiveness, yes, He will wipe off your mistakes, but those who do ihsan, Allah will also give them additional reward on top of that. But who are those people? Al-Muhsineen. Who are Muhsineen? Muhsineen are those who do ihsan. It's the plural of the word Muhsin. Have you heard of the name Muhsin? Muhsin is one who does ihsan. Hasin noon. Husn. Husn means beauty. And ihsan is to make what you're doing very beautiful. How do you make your action beautiful? How do you do something in a beautiful manner? For example, you're serving food. How can you do that in a beautiful manner? By smiling. Smiling is not mandatory on you. With love. Doing more than the requirement. Doing more than what was required of you. For example, you're serving the food to someone. One is that you just take the whole dish in which you cook the food. And you take a paper plate and you say, here, eat. Okay, you gave the food. But is that ihsan? 
Ihsan is what? That you do it in a beautiful manner. That you take the food out in a serving dish and you take it nicely before the person and you take the proper cutlery and a proper plate so that they can serve themselves and they can also eat the food easily. Is there a difference in the action? One action is just barely complete and the other is beautiful. So Ihsan includes doing something the proper way completely and then doing extra as well. Doing extra good. That is what brings beauty. Remember that Ihsan is of two types. One is Ihsan in ibadah, in worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. For example, when we're praying salah, one is that a person just performs the obligation, performs the four rakat and done. He's over with it. But the other is that a person performs his salah beautifully. He takes time out, he concentrates, he is conscious about what he's saying, what he's asking Allah for. Is there a difference in the salah? Yes, there is. So ihsan, first of all, is in ibadah. And secondly, ihsan is also in mu'amala, in dealing. Dealing with who? With people. And this includes talking to people. So when you're talking to them, giving proper answers in the right way, having a good conversation, using polite words, using kind words, having good expressions on your face as well. Ihsan also is about how you treat other people, how you give them their rights. One person comes and asks for something, Let's say you're selling something, they come and ask you for it. You say, what do you want? Rudely. Is that ihsan? No. And the other is, how may I help you? Is there a difference? Yes. A huge difference. Sometimes you go buy something and you feel as though the other person is just trying to get rid of you. Anything else? Anything else? Anything else? And you're like, I'm not done yet. And you're barely able to place your order. Ihsan is in mu'amalat as well. In how you deal with other people. It includes the way you sit with them. It includes how you walk with somebody, how you give something, how you take something. وَسَنَزِيدُ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that we will increase the reward for who? For those who do ihsan. Now tell me something, is there any limit to ihsan? So it's up to you. How much ever extra you will do, extra reward you will get as well. You want more reward? Do it more beautifully. Your reward will be according to your ihsan. وَسَنَزِيدُ الْمُحْسِنِينَ so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala encouraged the Bani Israel to perform good deeds. But what did they do? فَبَدَّلَ بَدَّلَ He changed. بَدَّلَمْ بَدَّلَ يُبَدِّلُ تَبْدِيل is to change something, to alter something. But remember that changing something is done in two ways. First of all, altering it slightly. For example, there was a piece of writing. You edit it. This is what? Changing it. And the other kind of tabdil is replacing one thing with the other. When you say, I changed the sheets, do you mean that you altered them? What does it mean? You remove them and you put others in their place. If you went and drew lines all over them, painted the sheets, that's worse than leaving them as they were. So anyway, tabdeel is of two types. First of all, alteration. And secondly, substitution, replacement. What did these people do? They altered the word. And when they altered it, they replaced the original with something else. So فَبَدَّلَ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا Those people who did zulm, they changed, they altered. قَوْلًا A statement, they replaced. A statement, a word. غَيْرَ Other than الَّذِي which قِيلَ لَهُمْ That was said to them. What were they told to say as they entered the city? حِطَّة But they altered it. How? Instead of saying حِطَّة, they said حِنْطَة Why did they say حِنْطَة? Because حِنْطَة means Wheat grain. It means hibba, a grain. So in other words, they were saying, we want grain, we want grain. Why were they doing that? 
they were mocking at the words of Allah. They were mocking at the one who saved them. They were mocking at the one who blessed them, who brought them back home. They were mocking at him, mocking at Allah. They changed the word, they substituted it. Instead of saying forgiveness, they said, we want grain. What does this show? Their greed, their selfishness, the lack of respect that they had, a very non-serious attitude, very non-serious attitude, extremely selfish and greedy people who always want and they do nothing in return. They keep taking and they don't obey. They don't give anything back. And we have to check ourselves over here. That when we learn about what we have to do, do we perform our obligations properly? Or do we make a mockery of the religion of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? They changed the word. So what happened? فَأَنزَلْنَا So we sent down. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down. عَلَى الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا Upon those people who had done zulm. What did He send down upon them? Rijzan, a filthy, vile punishment. Minasama, from the sky. Rijz is from the root letters. Ra, jim, zai. And rajza is to shiver. And rijz is something that is filthy, you can say. When you see something filthy, what happens? Do you shiver? Do you shudder? It happens, right? When you see something gross, something disgusting, what happens? You shiver, like, oh, your body shakes. And rijz is also used for a punishment. So it was a punishment that was extremely severe that caused their bodies to shake and shiver. And it is said that it was plague. Because in plague, when it spreads in a people, it's like a kind of infection or whatever it is, it causes fever. Extremely high fever. Extremely high fever means you're going to have chills. So, فَأَنزَلْنَا عَلَى الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا رِجْزًا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ A filthy punishment was sent upon them. Why? بِمَا كَانُوا يَفْسُقُونَ Because of their crossing limits, because of their sins. يَفْسُقُونَ فَاسِينَ قَافِسْقَ To cross limits, to disobey, to sin. بِمَا كَانُوا يَفْسُقُونَ And notice, بِمَا كَانُوا يَفْسُقُونَ This word كَانُوا, when it comes before a verb, it gives the meaning of habitually doing something again and again. Did they repeatedly cross limits? Did they repeatedly disobey Allah? Yes, they did. This is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down a very severe punishment on them. A very, very severe punishment. What do we learn in this verse? First of all, we learn that upon acquiring something special, upon receiving a blessing, instead of becoming arrogant, what should we do? We should bow down in humility before Allah. We should prostrate before Allah out of gratitude, out of submissiveness. We should not become arrogant at that time, but rather we should become humble and grateful. Remember when the Prophet ﷺ, when he was victorious at Fath Makkah, at the conquest of Makkah, how did he enter the city? Arrogantly? No. He was bending to the point that his beard was touching the camel. Just imagine, this is how humble he was. Allah says in the Quran, إِذَا جَاءَ نَصْرُ اللَّهِ وَالْفَتْحِ وَرَأَيْتَ النَّاسَ يَدُخُلُونَ فِي دِينِ اللَّهِ أَفْوَاجًا When you gain this victory, then فَسَبِّحْ بِحَمْدِ رَبِّكَ وَاسْتَغْفِرْ Seek forgiveness, glorify your Lord. At that time, don't become arrogant. But the Bani Israel, they did the exact opposite. Then we also learn that whenever we accomplish something, whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us victory, gives us a blessing, then what should we do? Thank Allah and seek forgiveness. Because they were told to prostrate and also, وَقُولُوا حِطَّةٌ Then we also learn in this verse about 
the great crime of changing, altering the words of Allah. This is a great crime. Sometimes people change the words of Allah, they alter them. Why? To interpret them in a way that would suit their desires. Or they will change them just to make fun, just to have a good laugh. Remember, this is something prohibited. The words of Allah are not like anybody else's words. Allah is Rabbul Alameen. You cannot compare the greatness, the status of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with the status of any other. وَلَمْ يَكُلْ لَهُ كُفُوًا أَحَدٌ He is Al-Wahid Al-Ahad. No one is like him. So just as he deserves great respect, this means that we never ever play around with his words. Because if a person does that, then the consequences are very very severe. Let's listen to the recitation. وَإِذْ قُلْنَ دُخُلُوا هَذِهِ الْقَرْيَةَ فَكُلُوا مِنْهَا حَيْثُ شِئْتُمْ رَغَدًا وَدُخُلُوا الْبَابَ سُجَّدًا وَقُولُوا حِطَّةٌ نَغْفِرْ لَكُمْ خَطَايَاكُمْ وَسَنَزِيدُ الْمُحْسِنِينَ فَبَدَّلَ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا قَوْلًا غَيْرَ الَّذِي قِيلَ لَهُمْ فَأَنزَلْنَا عَلَى الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا رِجْزًا مِنَ السَّمَاءِ بِمَا كَانُوا يَفْسُقُونَ Imagine Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told them, وَسَنَزِيدُ الْمُحْسِنِينَ You do good, Allah will give you more reward. Instead of doing good, what did they do? يَفْسُقُونَ They crossed limits. Instead of being more obedient, they became even more disobedient. Why did the Bani Israel become like this? Because of pride. Because of their feeling of that we deserve all of this. They're taking the blessings of Allah for granted. When we take the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for granted, then what happens? It leads to pride. It leads to this thinking that I'm fine no matter what I do. Then a person does not stop at any limit. Then he even goes on to disrespect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Forget about people. He even disrespects Allah. So we have to become very, very careful. We must realize that everything we have is what? A favor of Allah, not our own achievement, not something that we deserve, but it's a favor of Allah. This is what keeps a person humble. And this is what leads to gratitude. And this is what leads to submission. And ingratitude, pride, what does that lead to? Sinfulness, crossing limits, disobedience. So it all begins from where? Thinking. It begins from your thinking, the way you think, the image that you have of yourself. So we have to correct the image that we have of ourselves, look at ourselves as human beings, as servants of Allah, and keep our feet on the ground. Sometimes we take pride in just being Muslim. Alhamdulillah, it's a huge blessing, but don't become arrogant about it. Keep your feet on the ground. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu an la ilaha illa anta, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayka.